1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game, and it's good for you.
2: Do you like this show and you want to help support us? Do you want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Well, of course you do. Well, then head over to patreon.com slash Retro. Become a Patreon supporter of this very show. programs and welcome to 2020 it's the future my name is jason robbins
3: and my name is derek diamond
2: it's the first official show of 2020 so how does it feel to be in a new decade mr diamond
3: well it's going to be an interesting decade because i'll enter my 40s in a few years which should be which should be fun but um, no, I'm actually excited for a new decade. I mean, I was actually thinking about it around the end of the year. I wasn't in the greatest of places when I started the 2010s, but it ended in a good spot. So mm-hmm. hope to carry that momentum into the 2020s. And I, I don't want to jinx it just because whenever I say stuff like this, it tends to not happen. I've got some fairly big life changes planned later on in the year, so we'll, uh, we'll see what happens.
2: I was uh, doing some math in my head the other day. I was born in 77, so I've lived in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, 2000s, the teens, and now the 2020s. I've been alive for six decades, That's <laughs> and I'm only 42, and I've lived in two centuries and two millennia. I'm the All you need is a DeLorean. Man. I'm the luckiest man alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. It's like that math doesn't seem to add up, but it does. And it's it fr- kind of freaked me out the other day. I was like, I've been alive for s- through six different decades now, and I'm only forty two.
3: That's pretty cool, though. Uh, that that's a uh, that's a good little uh, Jason Robbins fact. It's
2: weird. I'm forty two, but I've lived in six decades. How does that work?
3: It's weird. Uh, Time know. is, time is
2: weird. <laughs> so is uh, very weird. we, uh, we did our first official live episode, uh, if, if you are a regular listener to the show, we did it at the wayward Kraken on December 16th and, uh, I had a blast. So I think we're going to start, that's going to start being a regular thing. Probably every three months or so we're going to do a live show there. How'd you feel about it?
3: Oh, I thought it was great. It was a little interesting in the beginning because, you know, we've done panels at like Pensacon and uh, Gulf Coast Fan Fest, but never like an actual episode of our show in person before. So I could tell that I think we were trying to find our bearings in the very beginning, but by the time I think we got to gaming history, we were... You know, it was smooth sailing from there on out. And everybody seemed to love it. Yeah. And it is I think podcasts are much better when you do them in person. Yeah. I know like we can't do it on a regular basis because we live in different states, but if we do it every three months or so, I think that would be really cool. And I, I really like the Wayward Kraken. They were, you know, very gracious to let us do our show there. And I can't wait to do more.
2: Yeah, it was really fun. Like everybody was into it. Uh you know, people asking questions and like like you said it was a little not really a rough start, but it was definitely kind of like uh how do we do this live at the very beginning, yeah. but once we kind of settled into it, it was really really fun and I didn't want it to end. So, uh, I I'm really looking forward to doing it again. And um we've we've had a busy couple of weeks, man. Like Christmas New Year's, and then this last weekend, we were together again in Pensacola mm-hmm. for the uh, Indie Fringe and Comedy Festival, and we did some panels on Saturday t- together, and mm-hmm. um, and then Sunday I had a Ghostbusters panel with Wally, and uh, our official fact checker, Wally Phelps, I did a Ghostbusters panel with him, which you did attend, but you didn't moderate, and then mm-hmm. I did a, a, a stand-up set Sunday evening, so it was a... Man, it's been a whirlwind couple of weeks, man.
3: Yeah, it's funny because I had all these plans, so I'm just going to relax and yeah. I'm going to play a few video games. But no. none of that happened
2: <laughs> None, because,
3: <laughs> well, between, you know, the, the comedy festival and having to prep for all the panels that I had to moderate, because I had to moderate five panels in one day. And then we had the, the live show. The week after that was when we had the filmmaker showcase. Yes, I forgot. So I, forgot I had to prep for right that. that. Then Jeez. was Christmas, <laughs> and the next thing you know, it's New Year's, and then right after that, I had to go back to work. It's
2: crazy, like like you said, like I was I was totally prepared because I had a week and a half off of work. I had thirteen days off of work, and I was mm-hmm. like, man, I'm gonna kick back, play some video games. I'm gonna play uh, Links Awakening, dude. I we I was so busy over the holidays, like I can't even like I completely forgot about the uh, the filmmakers thing, the fest that we had. I was like, man, that was in the middle of that too. Like that felt yep. like a lifetime ago, but that was just like two weeks ago.
3: Yeah, it was right before Christmas. I think it was like three or four days before.
2: Jeez, like man, 2019 ended with a bang. 2019 was a great year, man. Especially like for this show, not only for this show, but all around. Like my stand-up career, you know, the, you know the Parker Syndrome. Servi's still killing it. Like, you know, we sh- we showed Monsters Anonymous again to at the at the uh, the film fest. Whew, mm-hmm. man! Twenty nineteen was just a, a year to remember, man. I know a lot of people were just like, man, this year sucked. Like, this year was great for me. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I know 2018 wasn't exactly the best for either one of us. So it it was good to have, you know, a bounce back year because I know with me and I posted this really probably a way too long Facebook post about what I did throughout Mm. the year. But, you know, I got to travel to Minnesota, to Las Vegas, to Nashville. I premiered the Parker Syndrome finally started work on my next movie, rebranded my show. It's been it, it was a good year. Like I actually for it had its, you know, challenging moments, but overall it was much better than 2018.
2: I I can't say that enough. Like 2019 just beat 2018's ass with yeah. with a stick. <laughs> it was just like, "Get out of here." So, hopefully we're we're going to stay on that upward trend and 2020 is going to be even better. Hopefully so. But that being said, you got anything else you want to bring up before we go into the news for this week?
3: Um, I've got some stuff to talk about with my show, but we can save that for the end.
2: Oh yeah, I forgot about it. we we did a uh, couple episodes of the Derek Diamond Experience too, talking Star Wars. Star Wars happened.
3: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I forgot about that too. Yeah, we had a a marathon of uh, <laughs> Star Wars episodes. So basically, what happened was we did a Star Wars retrospective about episodes one through eight, and we included, you know, Rogue One and Solo. But the conversation went so long, I was like, I'm going to have to split the show up somehow. And Steve Wise actually had the idea, well, why don't you do, since we talked about it in pretty much sections, why don't you do a trilogy? You know, the first episode, we would discuss the original trilogy. Second episode would be the prequels, and third would be the new films. Yeah. We recorded so long that Jason's phone died.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Mixmaster's in the the chat room in, right now, and he says that it's really choppy. So I'm going to stop the stream real quick, and then just restart okay. it. I'm not even gonna the, stop our show. I'm just gonna stop the stream, and then kind of let it uh, catch up, and then I am going to start streaming again. Hopefully that uh, that fixes whatever the problem is. Fingers crossed. Like I was talking about before the show, it's been so long since we actually did an episode that uh, I had like 15 updates to, to do on everything before we could get started.
3: Well, I mean, that's, it's literally been, what, a month since yeah. we're probably over a month since we've done a yeah. traditional show.
2: Yeah, it's been a while.
3: Well, while you're doing that, I'm going to pull up the chat on my... Another cool thing is I got a MacBook Pro for Christmas. Yeah. So I'm going to um, be using that for this show from now on because it runs so much better than even my desktop. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Start watching.
2: All right. Well, it says it's uh, the stream is excellent, so... Hopefully that it's fixed. I trust you, Twitch and OBS. Let's hope so. All right. Well, um, yeah, but yeah, as far as the Derek Diamond experience, if you haven't listened to those episodes and you have seen, well, you can go back and listen to the, um. you broke it up into three parts because we recorded for like three hours. You did yeah. the original trilogy, the prequels, and then the Disney era and broke them all up into separate shows. And then we did a fourth episode, which we discussed The Rise of Skywalker. So if you haven't seen The Rise of Skywalker yet, what are you doing? Uh, go see that, and then go listen to the episode. But uh, if you haven't seen it yet, you can still go back and listen to the first three episodes where we talked about the original movies.
3: Yep, and um, for this week's episode of the show, we're I'm going to release the Defending Bad Comedies audio. From that panel that we did,
2: I want to do that as a regular podcast weekly. <laughs> that was so fun to do.
3: It's also going to be called the uh, the Buddy Hackett tribute show.
2: <laughs> I can't wait for everybody to hear it. Oh man, that was such a good panel. I can't wait to do the next one at uh, Pensacon.
3: I think for that one, I'm gonna have like a more broad choice of movies instead of it just being you know the nerd culture type films like Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Last Airbender movies. I am I, just going to look up worst movies of all time. Yeah. I'm going to have to go back and listen to last year's show so I don't include the same ones. You
2: know what, I bet you there's there's like lists uh, of uh, the worst movies of all time and just go through that list and just, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a genre film or whatever, just bad movies in general. Yeah. I think we should, that, that's going to be fun. Oh man, I can't yeah. wait for that.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great.
2: All right, well, let's go ahead and move into the news, shall we? Sure. I'm going to let you handle this first one because I'm excited and I know that this is, uh, you're so ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> so,
3: our first story comes to us from Nintendolife.com. The headline simply reads, check out what's inside The Wizard's 30th Anniversary Blu-ray release. It always amuses us when people debate the best video game-based movie of all time, because in our opinion, there's only one choice, and it stars Fred Savage, who I would pick to play me in Nerd Cave Retro the movie. The, the Wizard may have been a critical and commercial dud on its initial 1989 release, but it has gone down in history as a cult classic, and it's about to get a special 30th Anniversary Blu-ray release. In addition to having new cover art, which looks great, the bonus features include The Road to California, (laughs) a look back at The Wizard, including brand-new interviews with director Todd Holland, stars Fred Savage and Luke Edwards, writer-producer David Chisholm, producer Ken Topolowski, and more. How Can I Help You? Confessions of a Gameplay Counselor. That's probably the thing I'm looking forward to the most. A clinical analysis of The Wizard, post-screening Q&A from Let's Play Gaming Expo with Luke Edwards, David Chisholm, and Ken Toplosky and a photo gallery. It also benefits from a new 4K transfer and comes with an audio commentary with director Todd Holland as well as a selection of deleted scenes and trailers. The DVD, or Blu-ray I should say, launches on March 24th, 2020. I cannot
2: wait for this. I love that the the cover art. It's so cool. Oh,
3: it's so good. <laughs>
2: It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> just like the power glove. <laughs> yeah. I want a poster of that. That's great.
3: Uh, yeah, it's this is going to be a day one purchase for me, and I yeah. don't buy too many physical copies of things anymore. Mm-hmm. But this is going to be one that I definitely buy. Like The two things I'm most excited about are the confessions of a gameplay counselor, just because I think it's it could be a really cool little feature and also the deleted scenes.
2: You know, I sound crazy. Is it crazy to want to buy two copies of this so I can keep one sealed and one to open?
3: <laughs> no, not at I all. Love,
2: I love this movie that much. Like, I have as much love for this movie as I do, like, Star Wars.
3: That's a bold statement, but I, I I, like
2: it. I just watched this. I don't know if I told you about this. I watched this again, like, about three weeks ago or so. I had gotten... um. I used my HBO, uh, I think it was HBO uh, free seven day trial because I wanted to Mm -hmm. watch. I think it was because of this. I wanted to watch The Wizard and it was free with the HBO free trial. So I got it and I watched it like two or three times over that seven day period. And I was like, the movie's so good.
3: No, I love it. I love it. Now it's, I've been, it's probably, I won't say that on air. But I'll 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 talk to you about it afterwards. But okay. um no, I'm I'm super stoked for this, and you can actually get the Wizard Blu-ray plus a poster uh online from Shout Factory's website for just twenty-two dollars. Not bad at all. No. I wonder if the poster looks just like the the DVD cover art. I hope so. Let's see. Uh da, 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 da. I don't think it has a picture of it. It's a two-disc set. Disc 1 has the the movie plus the commentaries and the deleted scenes. And Disc 2 has all the other features. Okay. It's going to be good.
2: How big is the poster that it comes with? Does it say? 18 by 24. Oh, wow. That's almost a full-size movie poster.
3: It says... Order from shoutfactory.com and get an exclusive 18 by 24 rolled poster featuring our brand new artwork.
2: Oh, nice. I'm getting that. I am getting yeah. that.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to. Oh, it's actually marked down to um, 18 bucks.
2: That's happening.
3: Yeah, I'm going to pre order it from the website so I yeah, can get the poster.
2: A, I wonder if you can get it day and date when it comes out if you get it straight from Shout Factory. Hopefully so. I hope so. Uh, for our next story, this comes from Nintendolife.com. Uh, this actually came out a few weeks ago, but I wanted to cover this. Hundreds of fake NES mini consoles were seized by any counterfeiting task force in the U.S., and the estimated street value was $800,000. Um, it was a knockoff versions... Uh, that have no official ties with Nintendo. Uh, at a Triangle Shopping Center in Raleigh, North Carolina, an anti counterfeiting task force season obtained a total of 340 fake Nintendo systems. According to a local report, the sellers voluntarily surrendered the counterfeit units. While the real Nintendo Classic Mini contains 30 pre installed games, the fake ones had between 620 and 800 pre installed ROMs. Um, the Secretary wow. of State Elaine Marshall explained the warning sign to consumers if it's inferior quality it may be fake if it's too good to be true it probably is uh, there's a lot of money in Nintendo's miniature console market as illustrated earlier this year in April the company's year end financial report revealed the NES Mini and SNES Mini were still big sellers um, and I have seen these little fake uh, consoles before uh, there's, I went to a flea market here one of the kind of the permanent flea markets here on the coast and um they had a booth with a bunch of these little Nintendo uh consoles that had like 6 to 700 games on it and mm-hmm. I was like yeah I'm not going to buy this thing cuz that's probably not not good to have
3: you know Nintendo wouldn't have to worry about this kind of thing if they <laughs> put an internal hard drive uh-huh. in the system
2: yeah Oh, yeah? Just saying. <laughs> You're preaching to the choir here, brother. <laughs>
3: yeah, I'm just saying that's what they should have done. Yeah. I mean, I I love the concept of the NES Mini, but I remember us talking about it before.
2: Thing is, they the... should
3: have included a hard drive on it where you could plug it into your mm-hmm. computer and, down, and buy ROMs to install on the console.
2: Raspberry Pis are so cheap these days. They could have just put a Raspberry Pi in it and been able and hadn't just had you know nintendo.com you go to and you plug your you know into a USB port and download whatever game you wanted to play. But don't listen to us, Nintendo, we don't know what we want. We no, we're,
3: we we're just stupid fans. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I, is it wrong to do it? Yes, but I don't have a ton of sympathy for Nintendo. I don't either. If I'm being completely honest. Nope. Our next story comes to us from thepopinsider.com, and this looks really cool. Arcade 1UP unleashes the limited edition Burger Time Home Arcade Machine. If you're building a home arcade, you'll probably want to clear a little space for Arcade 1UP's first release of the new year. The company behind the three quarter scale home arcade craze surprised retro gaming fans by releasing a limited edition Burger Time Home Arcade Machine. In Burger Time, players help Chef Peter Pepper complete orders of hamburgers as they work through different mazes of increasingly difficult to complete the assembly of burgers while avoiding Mr. Hot Dog, Mr. Pickle, and Mr. Egg. The game was originally released by Data East in 1982, which licensed the game to Bally Midway for its full-sized arcade cabinets that were played at Pizza Huts and Aladdin Castles from coast to coast. The arcade one-up machine features a full-color 17-inch display, two sets of controls with full-size joystick and buttons, and three additional games, which include Karate Champ, Bad Dudes, and Caveman Ninja.
2: I would get this just for the, uh, the arcade version of Bad Dudes. Right? Man, I so, was so tempted <clears throat> over the holidays because um, I went to Dillard's, and they had all the arcade one-up machines in there lined up the holidays and Mm -hmm. I wanted all my goes this close to getting a Mortal Kombat 2 machine (laughs) because it was like 250 bucks I think it's like oh my god why (laughs) that's awesome if they would have had the Ninja Turtles machine in there for like 250 bucks I probably would have bought it on the spot
3: that's something that's on my list to get at some Mm -hmm. point is the Ninja Turtles one
2: yeah it's that funny
3: you mentioned Star Mortal Wars. Kombat 2 because over the break, so this was the, the night that Star Wars came out. I went to an it's a newer brewery here in town called Emerald Republic. And when you walk in, they have essentially like a, a lobby area. Mm-hmm. And they had Mortal Kombat two. They had Pac-Man and uh Marvel superheroes. All, like they had these machines out in the lobby, and it was it was a blast to go through and play those.
2: Oh, I'm sure. Man. I want that Turtles machine so bad.
3: I do too. So
2: bad. The, the I Star really Wars do. one too. I would love to have the Star Wars and the uh, the the Ninja Turtles. I got room right over there just to have both <laughs> those machines just right right over there. Got a perfect spot for them. <laughs>
3: Yeah, the sad thing is, I've got spots in my house too that will be like, yeah, I could put yeah. put an arcade machine there. <laughs> I could put, you know, this cool display item there. Mm-hmm. But yep. plenty of time for that.
2: Uh, and for our last story, it comes from Forbes.com. dot the, N- the Nintendo Switch has now sold more units than the Super NES. Uh, the Nintendo Switch surpassed the SNES's total lifetime sales at the end of 2019, according to estimates from video game sales tracking site VG Charts. According to the report, the Nintendo Switch sold 961,543 units for the week ending December 28, 2019, to bring its lifetime sales up to 49.79 million units worldwide. This compares to the Super Nintendo with a lifetime sales of 49.1 million units. That's a lot of video games.
3: Yes. This makes me happy, though. Like I'm really glad that the Switch is being as successful as it is.
2: And it's still selling. I mean, it's probably going to do at least probably another 25 to $30 million before it's done. I mean, there's, they're going to get it. And at least they're about to come up with another version of it this year. So mm-hmm. they'll probably get, squeeze another 25, 30 million units out of it before they're done.
3: Well, you got to think whenever the next Metroid game comes out, when the yeah. Breath of the Wild sequel comes out, that's going to drive sales even more. So yeah. there, there's still going to be some big games that come out for the Switch over the next couple of years.
2: Yeah, I think Metroid's going to be a good system seller too. Because um, I know if I didn't have a Switch, if Breath of the Wild didn't get me to buy a Switch... Metroid definitely would have. So I think there's a lot of yeah. people out there. When they see Metroid, they're gonna be like, oh, okay, I go ahead, I need to go ahead and get one of these.
3: Yeah, I I would agree with that. And it, it even has the top-selling video games for the Switch as of September 2019. Number one is Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which uh-huh. is at nineteen point zero one million. <laughs> Smash Brothers Ultimate, 15.71. Mario Odyssey is third with 15.38 and then Breath of the Wild is at 14.54 in fourth place.
2: It also says uh, the Switch still has a long way to go in order to topple the best-selling consoles. PlayStation 2 still remains the top seller of all time with 155 million units sold. Uh, Nintendo DS with 154 million and the Wii is the sixth best-selling console with 101.6 million.
3: People forget about the Wii. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a great casual gamer's console, and that's why it did so well. Because you had, it came with Wii Sports, Mm -hmm. which is a great party game. Yeah. So people would buy the Wii just for that.
2: Oh, the Wii was crazy. Everybody had a freaking Wii. Mm Mm-hmm. And PlayStation 2 as well. I don't know anybody that didn't have a PlayStation 2.
3: PlayStation 2 is the cockroach. Of video game consoles, it just would not die. Oh,
2: did weren't they still when did they stop production on the PlayStation 2? Like 2015, was it, or something like that? Uh, let me actually Google that, yeah, because it wasn't that terribly long ago, it might have been like 2013 or 2015, something like that. It's crazy how long of a lifespan that thing had.
3: Uh, it stopped in 2012.
2: Oh, I knew it was somewhere around there.
3: But still, that's nuts.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's what? Barely seven years ago. Yeah. And to think it came out in what? Like 2001, I think?
3: Yeah, something like that.
2: Sony made some Wh- money off of that.
3: We're speaking of 2000s. When we get into video game history, you're going to feel very old. 'Cause I'm starting to feel old. Alright.
2: <laughs> well, let's go ahead and do that then, shall we? We're gonna move into this month in video game history. Sure. On January thirteenth of nineteen eighty two, Midway releases Miss Pac-Man, despite it being copyrighted as in nineteen eighty one. It is, as the name suggests, the sequel to Pac-Man, but was created without Namco's authorization. They also released Baby Pac-Man and Pac-Man Plus without Namco's authorization later in the year. The former is a pinball video game hybrid, Um, which is crazy because Miss Pac-Man was such a good game that uh, that Namco literally just bought uh, Miss Pac-Man from uh, Midway, or I think I can't remember exactly who developed Miss Pac-Man. But it's a weird story behind that, because this was in the days before, you know, intellectual property rights. I mean, there was still copyrights and stuff, but they weren't as crazy about it back then. But, you know, Ms. Pac-Man was kind of a bootleg of Pac-Man, and it, it was so good that Namco just said, uh, we're just going to buy it from you.
3: Well, and the crazy thing is a lot of people prefer Miss Pac-Man to the original Pac-Man. I do.
2: I think Ms. Ms. Pac-Man's a way better game than Pac-Man.
3: Do you think that they should do a baby Pac-Man, like maybe bring him back to team him up with baby Yoda?
2: Hmm, that would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of baby Yoda, if we don't get Red Dead Mandalorian from Rockstar within the next year or two, there's no justice in this world. That's the game I want to play
3: I, I'm not going to lie. I'm going through and watching the Mandalorian again. I damn
2: too. It's so good.: <laughs> I've seen every episode three times now. I'm working on a fourth i'm I'm on my third watch or I watched episode three
3: for the third time today, and I'm going to watch episode four, probably tomorrow.: Dude,
2: that final if episode is one of the best season finales of Ugh. any TV show I've ever seen in my life
3: it's gonna be season two is gonna be great
2: yeah it better be <laughs> yeah
3: but anyway my my closing thoughts on Pac-Man you know I actually haven't played Miss Pac-Man all that much but I, I enjoy all the Pac-Man games that I've played you Man. know they're, just, they're so simple and you can spend just so much time playing it
2: have you ever played Pac-Man Championship Edition I have not. Oh, my God. You've got to play that. I think it's available on uh, the Switch. Um, I had it uh, on the Xbox 360, and that game is so freaking addictive. Like, if you've never played Pac-Man Championship Edition, do yourself a favor and just play it. That's all I can say is just play it, and then I hope you have about a week to spare because that's all you're going <laughs> to do.
3: <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. In January of 1985, Commodore releases their final 8-bit computer, the Commodore 128. I
2: don't remember the 128. I had a Commodore 64, and I don't even remember that there was a Commodore 128. I want to take a look at this thing.
3: It looks like a keyboard.
2: Yeah, well, that's pretty much what the Commodore was. It was just a keyboard. Yeah, it's pretty much just looks like a standard keyboard. Yeah yeah i had the commodore sixty four uh the tape deck peripheral um my grandpa had the floppy disk for it and all kind of it was i love the commodore sixty i still want to get a commodore sixty four mini
3: i'm looking at the the floppy disk right now yeah it's crazy to think that those weren't that those were used not that long ago
2: i know <laughs> and it was the big floppy disc too the big oh yeah floppy disks Back when they were actually floppy. That's why they were called floppy disks.
3: I remember I had this little plastic tray. It, it was even under lock and key. Full of multicolored floppy disks. Like you had red ones. You had mm-hmm. blue ones. And I think yellow and green.
2: I bet I still have mine at my mom's house. And it was yeah, like, I'll have to
3: look at my parents' house next time I go.
2: And it had the little dividers in it by uh, by letter. So you could... Al- uh, alphabetically keep your your uh, floppy disks in there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, kids. You kids today have it so easy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, January 1st, 1986, Commodore releases Mindwalker for the Amiga. It keeps running unmodified on all versions of the Amiga hardware and OS. Just goes to show what a crazy good computer the Amiga was.
3: Yeah, that's, that's mind blowing to think about. And just Looking at the gameplay of it, it reminds yeah. me of the movie Tron, yeah. the original one. It's nuts.
2: Such good graphic, like it's crazy. You go back and you look at some of the graphics of the games for the Amiga, and you're thinking like this was 1985, and they were doing like nine, like two thousand, you know, and above level like uh, graphics on that thing. It's crazy. That's what.
3: It's mind blowing with certain games and even I'll throw movies in that category as well that were made in the mid 80s to early 90s that still hold up. You know, with movies, you think of Terminator 2, you Mm -hmm. think of Jurassic Park that just had amazing effects and graphics that still it, it looks like they would have been made today. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, January 5th of 1988, shareware game The Adventures of Captain Comic is one of the first NES-style scrolling platformers for the PC, setting the stage for a subsequent shareware platform boom.
2: Adventures of Captain Comic. I thought maybe I recognized this, but I do not. Looks cool, though.
3: I want to say we've talked about this game before on gaming history. Yeah. Because I recognize the the list of all the items and everything.
2: Oh yeah. The, um, there was a version for the NES that was later published by color dreams, but it was an unlicensed title. It was one of the black cartridge games, the illegal mm. ones.
3: Uh, I'd be interested in possibly trying this out one day. I mean, it's a platformer, so it will be right up my alley.
1: Yeah. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today.
2: Uh, Let's see. January 1st, 1992, Atari Corporation dropped support for the Atari 2600, Atari 8-bit family, Atari 7800, and software for those systems. You know, you can say what you want about the the PlayStation 2. The Atari 2600 had a lifespan, too. I mean, that thing came out in 1977. And they didn't drop support for it until 1992.
3: And think that was after the SNES came I out.
2: Oh, It's crazy. People were still buying Ataris then. That's nuts.
3: I actually got a, a really cool shirt for Christmas. And it's ironic because I've never actually played an Atari. But it has a, a graphic of the um, Atari joystick on it. And it says, um, I think, classically trained. Mm-hmm. On the top, and then under it, it has the Atari logo. Yeah, it's like I a had, bright blue shirt.
2: I had a shirt like that that had a uh, an Atari, actual Atari on it with uh, the controller, and it said, "I was gaming before you were born." <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, that's great. In January of 1994, Mega Man X is released in the United States.
2: Mega Man X, didn't we review this? Yeah, you reviewed yep, this, didn't you? I really? did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Good game.
3: Yeah, it's it's actually a really fun game. I, I want to play more of the the X series to review later on this year.
2: Yeah, I want to review Mega Man Eleven in the next few weeks or months, but I just I gotta find time to actually finish it.
3: Yeah, I, heck, I still don't even know what I'm going to review next week.
2: You better get on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to figure that out. Holidays, I'll figure it out in the next day or so. Holidays always kind of screw us up, man. It's weird. Like, you think you're going to have all this time to get stuff done, and it ends up just being, like, a, like a, just a jumbled mess.
3: Well, I think what happened at the end of 2018, the start of my Christmas break was when we filmed The Parker Syndrome. So once that was done, I wanted to do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and I did nothing.
2: I think maybe but, next year we should remember this. And then next year be like, all right, we're going to take time off until like mid-January. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll bank a couple of shows and then just take some time off.
3: Yeah, I, I like that
2: idea. Uh, and for our penultimate, we have January twenty first, nineteen ninety nine. Super Smash Brothers is released for the N sixty four. I still want to get a copy of this for my my Nintendo sixty four.
3: You should. No, it's it's the start to one of the greatest fighting franchises in gaming history. The playing it now, the controls are a little they're a little tough to deal with, but. You know, you you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And I still love playing the original Smash Brothers game. You know, I know I reviewed it I think around around this time last year cuz I I did it for the the 20 year anniversary of it. But it's it's still a great game. I still remember exactly where I was the first time I saw the commercial for it and was just mm. geeking out over it cuz you know, growing up a Nintendo fan, everybody f- uh, fantasizes about what would happen if Mario and Link met? Yeah. What if Fox and Samus met? Mm-hmm. Which, that's, that's a crossover waiting to happen, because genre-wise, that can work. So get on that, Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> so I mentioned that I was going to make both of us feel old. Now that we're in 2020... The 2000s are 20 years ago. So I'm going to start including stuff from the year 2000 Uh. in video game (laughs) history. So to close us out, on January 4th, 2000, Mario Party 2 is released for the N64.
2: That was already 20 years ago.
3: Yep. Mm. I was, so I know I texted you last night, but I was just kind of scrolling through Netflix and I found the original Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, you know what happens when you find the original Ninja Turtles? You, have to watch, you it. watch it. Yeah, of course. And I was like, geez, this movie is 30 years old. It came out in 1990.
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs> that means I was in seventh grade 30 years ago. <laughs>
3: I was, yeah, I was four years old when that movie came out.
2: We're getting old, man. We're getting old. Yeah.
3: Yeah, we we are. But no, the Mario Party franchise, you know, I I can remember playing the earlier ones, but I didn't play them that consistently. Mm. So I don't have too many like sentimental memories with Mario Party, but I yeah. I do like them. I I have more memories of playing the one for the Wii. Yeah. Or, or it might have been No, I know what it was. I downloaded Mario Party 3 on the virtual console, and that was what we played. Okay.
2: Yeah, but I I never really played too much of the Mario Party games. I think that was might have been the one for the Wii is really the only one I think I've ever really played.
3: Yeah, let's see. Wait, Mario Party 3 came out in 2000 as well? Oh, it came out in Japan in 2000. Oh, okay. It wasn't released in North America until 2001. Okay. So, yeah, look forward to reading more stuff from the year 2000. Then when we get to 2021, I'll include 2001. <laughs> and we'll be talking about retro gaming as being in the PlayStation yeah. 2 category.
2: Oh, boy. Man. It's um, great. Before I have an a existential breakdown, Derek, why don't you do some shout-outs? <laughs>
3: After the show's over, I'll check us into a retirement home. All right. But uh, for our Patreon shout-outs, as always, we like to give a shout-out to the ones who essentially keep the lights on and pay the bills for us. This week, we'd like to shout-out xblade 7 Daniel Salmon, and John Jekyll. Thank you guys so much. And if you'd like to be a part of our Patreon family, just head over to patreon.com slash
2: nerdcaveretro. Tonight, we're going to be talking about... Rogue Squadron is an arcade-style action game co-developed by Factor 5 and LucasArts. <clears throat> first of the three games <clears throat> for the first of three games in the Rogue Squadron series. The other two were uh for the GameCube, the Star Wars Rogue Squadron 2 Rogue Leader and Rogue Squadron 3 Rebel Strike, which I did have both of those games. They were very Same. very good as well as mm-hmm. Star Wars Episode One: Battle for Naboo, a spiritual successful successor released for Windows and N64. Um, it was published by LucasArts and Nintendo and released for Microsoft Windows and N64 in December of 1998. This was actually the first game I ever purchased for myself for the Nintendo 64. Uh, oh, that's I, cool. I bought the my Nintendo 64 in 99, and it was actually the... Uh, the Pod Racer series of N64 and after I bought that I went and bought Star Wars Rogue Squadron and th- and then of course I think I got Shadows of the Empire directly after that and then uh, Evil Resident Evil 2 so those were like the first four games I bought for the Nintendo 64 um it is uh the first games to take advantage of the N64's expansion pack which allows gameplay at a higher display resolution which I want to get my hands on because uh, from what I was reading, um, the expansion pack really, really bo- uh, boosts up the uh, the resolution for it. I think the, I forgot where, um, where I read it at, but the regular resolution for the Nintendo 64 was like 340 by, or 320 by something. Um, what was it? Now I can't remember, but it boosted it up to like 640 by something. It almost doubled the resolution. Um, and from what I hear, it was it looked very, very good. And you can't go back to playing it regularly after seeing it in the higher resolution. So I want to get me an expansion pack. Uh, well, the funny
3: thing about the expansion pack is that later on in the, the console's lifespan... It was a requirement for you to have one because whenever I reviewed Perfect Dark a few months ago, yeah, I forgot that you had to have the expansion pack in order to play the campaign. Oh, so like I, I, I sit down in my couch and I'm ready to you know start playing Perfect Dark, and then I was like, crap! So I had to run over to Price Busters and buy one. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it definitely makes a difference. I was actually just looking up; it, it doubles the RAM. Yeah, for the sixty four, it boosts it from four four megabytes to eight megabytes
2: yeah which doesn't sound like a lot but when you know at the time by today's standards no yeah um it it was inspired by the x-wing rogue squadron comics the game takes place primarily between events in the film star uh well what's known as episode four now and the empire strikes back the player controls luke skywalker commander of the elite X-Wing pilots known as Rogue Squadron. As the game progresses, Skywalker and Rogue Squadron fight the Galactic Empire in 16 missions across various planets. Um, The critics praised the game's technical achievements and flight controls, but its use of distance, fog, and the lack of multiplayer mode drew criticism. Uh, More than 1 million uh, copies had sold by August of 99. So and I did kind of notice that in the game, like the draw distance in the game is kind of bad. Like you Mm -hmm. had really have to kind of pay attention. It has a heads up display, like a little radar down in the bottom corner of the screen that you really got to kind of pay attention to, to know where your enemies are at. But once you get kind of used to it, you know, like if you go and play, like now you go play big games like battlefront and stuff like those games, are just amazing when it comes to you know the flight simulators but this game really did a good job for being relatively primitive you know
3: mhm yeah you know growing up a star wars fan this game was essentially like a dream come true cuz i missed out on the the pc era where you had like tie fighter yeah um and other games like that i, I never played those well i i so had when...
2: those and those were relatively on-rails kind of shooters, uh mm-hmm. like flight simulators. But this one was just, like, complete, like... You know, you had parameters. Like, you had to stay within a certain... Like, if you went out of bounds, you had to get back in before time ran out. But, you know, right? basically kind of like just open world.
3: Yeah, and that was the cool thing about it. You know, it, it kind of it just introduced a, a whole broad spectrum and it, you know, being set in the star Wars universe and the fact that it focuses on an elite level of yeah. the rebel fighters, which, you know, I, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. Now that the Skywalker saga is over, there's so many possibilities that you could do with star Wars as far as story goes. And even if it's, you know, episodic like the Mandalorian, or if you were to do, one-off movies a rogue squadron movie would be
2: awesome oh yeah even a tv show just like you know an ensemble television show about you know the rogue squadron like taking place in between you know the 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 original movies that where Mm -hmm. you could just have like you could recast like wedge antilles and have him be like in the x-wing like i said this was based off the rogue squadron comics and it was basically like about Wedge, like he was the head of Rogue Squadron and about all the missions that they would go on. And that whole like there's that whole thing is just ripe with story ideas, especially if you did like an ensemble type of thing.
3: And I think another thing that really helped this game, too, was the timing that it was released because it was released in 98. Yeah. Yeah and this was when star wars fever was starting to pick back up again because you had the phantom menace coming out a few months later well now so i I, mentioned... I think in addition to it it being just a good game in general i think the timing of it was great too
2: yeah and now that you mention that i did not even know this until i read this in here um and i actually went and saw um youtube clip of this where uh They actually put in, um, let's see, where was it? Uh, Where is it? Um, Oh, yeah. uh, Is it under Unlockable uh, Content? Yeah, under Unlockable Content. They um, actually had, uh, Lucasfilm provided the developers, um, let's see, during Rogue Squadron's development, Episode One, The Phantom Menace, the first new Star Wars film in more than 15 years, was less than one year from its scheduled release date, To take advantage of this marketing opportunity, Factor 5 included content from the upcoming film in Rogue Squadron. Lucasfilm provided the developers with design art for the Naboo Starfighter, a ship prominently featured in the new film. These designs were used to create an in-game model, uh, but because the game was was scheduled to be released six months before the film, Factor 5 was required to keep the ship's inclusion a secret. As a result, most of the game's development team at Factor 5 were not informed of its inclusion. A complex scrambling system was also developed to help hide the ship's code from gamers using cheat cartridges such as Game Shark or Action Replay. More than six months after the release of Rogue Squadron, LucasArts unveiled the code to unlock the Naboo Starfighter as a playable craft. The code has been named the Nintendo 64's most well-hidden code because of the length of time before its discovery.
3: That's awesome.
2: Even to this day, I never knew that the Naboo fighter was in this game.
3: Well, now that you mention it, I remember reading something about it. You know, around like months after it came out, I remember hearing that it was included in the game. But still, like the fact that it was able to be, you know, hidden that long, yeah, is is really cool.
2: And the uh, cool thing about this game is, um, is. You go through all these different missions and the first time you go through each mission <clears throat> you only get to have um, whatever uh, craft that you know is available at the time like some of them have three different craft available but you can only he- choose one like they're in the game there there uh, there's the X-wing, the A-wing, the Y-wing, Snowspeeder and V-wing in the game um but like some of the levels when you go through the first time, like say certain levels, you can only pick the X- wing or the A wing. But when you finish, like you get like uh, gold medal, silver medal, and bronze medal going through the game. And uh, when you go back to replay your missions, it unlocks the other ships to be able to play on that level. So yeah, and then as you go through the game, uh, you unlock the bonus levels, which I didn't get get far enough this time to do it, but I did defeat, I did go through this whole game back in the day. You, you unlock Beggar's Canyon, which you then get to play the, t- the T16 Skyhopper, uh, the Death Star Trench Run, and the, the Battle of Hoth. And also, uh, the Millennium Falcon and a TIE Interceptor are also unlockable uh, during the game. So, uh, you know, the Millennium Falcon's awesome to play. Yeah. Uh cuz like the uh, e- like it just the the guns are just ridiculous on it. And the tie interceptor is a little hard to control because it's so fast and nimble. I never really liked using that one too much.
3: I was a sucker for the Millennium Falcon.
2: Yeah, me too. It's so big and bulky, but good lord, you only had to hit everything one time. Yeah, <laughs> like when you're going through with the X-wing or like, you know, the A-wing you have to like it takes multiple shots to bring down like Tie Fighters and stuff, but when you're in the Millennium Falcon, like one shot, one kill on everything.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep, it was great.
2: <clears throat> but yeah, just going through the game, like I said, there's uh, what was it four, four different sections, and each had four different subsections. So there was like 16 different levels throughout the game, and uh, with different objectives and the. The objectives are in four categories. You had search and destroy, reconnaissance, rescue, and protect. Uh, I think most of my favorite ones are the search and destroy uh, ones. I'm not a real big fan of the rescue ones or or the uh, protect. Like I don't like. I've never really liked. um, What do you call them? Uh, Escort missions on anything and that's basically yeah. what the protect are is just escort missions.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one.
2: Those were A probably cool... my least favorite levels to play.
3: Yeah. A cool thing and I, I completely forgot about this, but the sixteenth and final level of the game took place during Dark Empire, which is one of the most popular yeah. comic arcs in Star Wars from the what's now called the Legends series. Yeah. No longer which can. takes place I count it as canon. Yeah. Uh, six years after Return of the Jedi, when the Rebel Alliance has established a new republic after the deaths of Palpatine and Vader, but then the Empire comes back under a mysterious new leader who, spoilers, okay. is a clone of Palpatine.
2: Hmm. So the wonder fact where they, they actually, got that idea from for the new movie. <laughs>
3: uh... Well, we'll. I, I won't get into spoilers for those who <laughs> haven't seen the movie yet, but you'll have to go back and listen to the Derek Diamond experience to get yeah. my thoughts. But I, I, yeah, I completely forgot about that aspect. But Dark Empire, like that, and Shadows of the Empire, are my two favorite extended universe stories when it comes to to Star Wars.
2: One of the best things about this game, I. I kind of forgotten how good the sound was on this game. And uh, mm-hmm. I never actually did this, but I, from what I hear, if you're playing this game on uh, surround sound, like it's actually in, I think, 5.1 or 3.1, something like that, surround sound, so you can hear like the ships like all around you while you're playing this game. But the sound design for this game is fantastic. Um, especially the music, you've got all the sound effects, like even the voice acting, like the guy voicing Luke Skywalker sounds just like Mark Hamill. It's, it's Mm -hmm. really cool. That's one of the things that I I was really impressed with going back and playing this game.
3: I haven't played this game in forever, but I did watch some YouTube clips, um, earlier today just to kind of, you know, remind me of what the game was like. Yeah. And I thought the same thing here. You know, the sound was still really good. and It looks like it still holds up really well.
2: Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, this is probably one of the better games that's held up for the Nintendo 64, especially as far as, you know, we always kind of talk about how crappy the N64 controller is. This game works re- pretty well with the mm-hmm. N64 controller. I mean, it's pretty intuitive. Um, you know, It, it was kind of made for that controller. I mean, I would still love to have a, a second uh, analog stick, but the game works pretty well. Um, and I think that it probably, like I said, it's probably one of the top five best games you could probably go back and have for the Nintendo 64.
3: I don't disagree with any of that. It's, it's a really good game, and I, it makes me want to go back and play it again. Yeah, I, I know. Eventually, I want to review the one of the sequels for GameCube because you know those games are really good too. So yeah, this this trilogy it really stands out as far as the Star Wars video games are concerned.
2: Yeah. Oh, here it is. Uh, the expansion pack increased its resolution from three hundred and twenty by two hundred and forty to six hundred and forty by four hundred and eighty, so it doubled the the resolution mm-hmm. for it. Wow, that's, uh, that's not bad for the Nintendo 64. Which is no, not, it's not at not all. not known for great, <laughs> for great graphics.
3: But it really does make a difference. I, I do remember that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it says, uh, instead of using Nintendo's default sound drivers, Factor 5 developed its own tool called MOS- MOSYS FX Surround. The Factor 5 drivers used Nintendo 64 processors, but taxed them less. Advanced compression techniques were also employed. As a result, the game includes over 80 minutes of high-quality stereo sound.
3: You know, audio is a very underrated thing. Yes. When it comes to really all type of media. So the fact that... And I, I think people developing this game agree with that because they... Paid so much attention to the sound.
2: Yeah, that's agreed. I mean, sound is so important when it comes to to anything, really, but especially video games. When you're playing a game like this, like I mean, think of games like you know, uh, modern warfare and and Call of Duty games, where when you're listening in the headphones, you can actually hear like like people walking behind you. Like this game actually did that. In the the 90s on the Nintendo 64 with the the sound, uh, you know, that they developed for this game. So, you know, I'm coming to the end of my review here. I haven't gotten a chance to play it a ton, but I did play it a ton back when it first came out in the 90s. And I played it a good bit, a few hours here and there over the last week or so. Um, didn't get to play the whole game, but I think I got up to, you know, I played seven or eight levels on it and, um, I really enjoy it. So I'm, you know, for an N64 game, you know, I'm going to give it a solid eight out of 10. Like if you have an N64 and you don't have Rogue Squadron, this is probably in the top five best games to have for the Nintendo 64.
3: Yeah, I would definitely throw it up there with. You know, if you had to pick five games, I would say this is a must. Yeah. Mario 64, yep. Ocarina of Time. Yep. I would throw in uh, Goldeneye. Yes. As the fourth one. And then fifth one. Hmm. Me personally, I would throw Banjo Kazooie in as the fifth one.
2: I think I'd probably say that, too. I'd have to think about my list a little bit, but the first four you said are definitely solid. Those are the best four. For the fifth one, I'd have to really think about that for a bit. Like, I love Resident Evil 2, but I can never go back and play it on the (laughs) Nintendo 64, ever. (laughs) Much as I love that game, like, playing it on the PlayStation 4 is... mm, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I totally get that. So much better than the original yeah. N64 version.
3: Yeah, from what I've seen, I I completely agree with you on that. I, I never played Resident Evil 2 for the N64, but I've seen side-by-side comparisons, and yeah.
2: <laughs> well, you remember I tried to go back and play it a few years ago, and re- I reviewed it on the show here. Yeah. That game was rough to try to get through, especially with the tank controls and the. You can't control the camera and just, man. That game is a hot mess, but holy crap, I played the shit out of it back then.
3: Well, we didn't think about it back then because that was just kind of. We took it as that's just how it is. Yeah,
2: it's just how it was. We didn't know any better. But this game here, I mean. This game could come out today. Like, they could slap a whole new coat of paint on it and put it out for the PlayStation 4, and it would be just as good. Like, it's lengthy, mm-hmm. takes a while to finish, you know, there's a lot of meat to this game. Uh, the sound is great. I mean, they could re-release this today, and it would be just as good.
3: I'd rather play this than the new Battlefront.
2: Eh, I don't know. I've heard the new Battlefront games have really improved. So I I have I didn't play it because I I wasn't that impressed with the original Battlefront for you know that was the PlayStation Four bundle that I bought it was the the,
1: the
3: the first of the new Battlefronts I liked the second one I heard just so much crap about EA and yeah. you know having to to purchase things in order to complete the game and whatnot yeah. and I was just like I, I I'm win. not about that plus I heard the game just wasn't nearly as good.
2: Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to get around to playing it. I, I'm actually back into a uh, second playthrough of uh Resident Evil 2 right now. So, kind of got nice. back into that a little bit. And yeah, I, really, I haven't...
3: Honestly, I didn't play a single video game over the break.
2: I've played a few here and there. I haven't gotten to really dig into anything except for Rogue Squadron. Yeah, And then uh, my girlfriend uh, hasn't played Breath of the Wild yet, and um, uh, Wind Waker was her favorite uh, GameCube game, so I made her a new um, uh, profile on the Switch, and she started playing Breath of the Wild the other night, and I was just like, I think I may need to dive back into (laughs) Breath of the Wild, restart a new game, like, make me a whole new profile on the Switch and start a whole new game.
3: I've really thought about that too, but then I'm like, if I go back in, I, know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to come out.
2: And, and she, was so her place, she was like, I'll just play this while you're at work or whatever. And I was like, no, I want to sit here and watch you play it because I love this game.
3: Oh, it's it's fun just to watch it because it's almost like watching a movie unfold.
2: Yeah. Like an animated movie. It's awesome.
3: Yeah. Uh, so, I can't say enough good things about that. If game. I
2: dive back into Breath of the Wild and you don't see me for about a week, that's what you you know you know that's what I'm doing if I disappear from the <laughs> world.
3: <laughs> oh man.
2: But anyway, um we're coming up to the end of the show. Anything you want to throw out there before we uh call it the official first episode of 2020?
3: Yeah, just um check out the Derek Diamond Experience podcast for those who have not listened to it. It's kind of a combination of movie reviews and interviews. One segment I'll have, you know, a friend or two on and we'll review a movie that's come out. Uh reviewed such movies as Joker, Knives Out. Uh, Jason and Wally have been on to review The Mandalorian. So it it delves into both film and TV and then the second segment will be an interview with, you know, a film director, actor, producer, someone who works in the the film and television industry. So it's a combination of entertainment as well as informative stuff for uh, aspiring filmmakers this week i'll be releasing the audio from the defending bad comedies panel that i hosted along with you wally julio diaz and chad sanders it was really fun and hopefully you guys enjoy listening to it because i i I always love hearing just the audience just kind (laughs) of gasp or go oh (laughs) it's great
2: oh that would That panel was so fun. I can't wait to go back and listen to it as a as a spectator.
3: Yeah, it's I'm about two thirds of the way finished editing it because I'm having to clean up the audio a little bit, but nothing really too bad. But it's I have just as much fun going back and listening to it. So that's why the editing tends to take longer. Is (laughs) that I get so like into listening to it that I'm like, oh, I need to actually be listening for stuff that's not right with it. (laughs) I have
2: spoken. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, yeah, um, if you
3: want to if you want to check out the podcast, it's available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify. And if you want to follow the show on social media, it's on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at D diamond podcast.
2: um, And yeah, if you want to follow me for all of my uh, comedy stuff and if you're anywhere near. You know, where I'm going to be performing, just follow me on Twitter and Instagram at JFunkTastic, and I will uh, let you know where I'm going to be performing at. And uh, you can follow me on Facebook too, Jason Robbins. Just shoot me over a friend request. And uh, definitely go listen to those Star Wars episodes of the Derek Diamond Experience and get caught up so you can make your way up to the, uh, the defending bad comedies panel because that's going to be a good episode.
3: You know, I was actually thinking if we were still in the days of, you know, not reserved seating at movie theaters, those episodes would be great to listen to while waiting out in the theater in oh, line. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. They were fun, but yeah, too. That,
3: no, it was it was really fun. Like it was uh, I knew it was going to be a long day of podcasting, but it was worth it. And the, the crazy thing is, as soon as we were done, I thought of like five other things to talk about. <laughs>
2: That's the thing with Star Wars, man. I hate that my phone died in the middle of it, but like I said, I got down to like 2%. I was like, oh, I gotta go, guys. Yeah,
3: you just missed my crazy prediction on the ending. Derek
2: nailed, nailed it, the ending of Rise of Skywalker to the point where I was convinced he knew somebody on the inside that told him the end of that movie like there's no way you could have guessed that to the T like you did there's no well, way Well the thing
3: <laughs> one of the reasons why I definitely say no is that if I did like read something or new spoilers that that would make me cuz I'm so staunchly against spoilers and I've to put it bluntly, I've bitched about it so much on social media. It would make me one of the biggest hypocrites in the world <laughs> if I if there. I did that.
2: Soon as the movie was over, I was just like looking at my phone, about to text you, like this son of a bitch. <laughs> 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 like he knows somebody at Lucasfilm, and he didn't tell me.
3: Well, the funny thing is uh, Chad Sanders, who did the bad comedies panel with us he after he listened to that episode he uh or after he watched rise of skywalker cuz he had listened to our star wars discussions he was like did you know somebody yeah <laughs> because he he was like you the thing is like I, I will never get something that right again so i'm probably never going to predict anything because i will never get that close it, it was just like it it scared me like how <laughs> accurate I got that because it never happens
2: it was weird man I don't know if you heard that my cat was uh, messing with my (laughs) my uh, stool I had sitting next to me and she knocked it over on top of herself and freaked out and ran across the room
3: well, she realized that she hadn't made her cameo on the... I know. You know her weekly cameo on the show yet, so... Well, I turned... Had to the get the, it in before we left.
2: Yeah, can't... You know, can't see her hanging out now that I've turned the desk the other way, so she's trying to get my attention. Yeah,
3: She's got to have her moment.
2: Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, call it a show, shall we? Sure. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at com. We're at NerdCaveRetro.com We're on Instagram and Twitter at NerdCaveRetro and individually at Fantastic and at Derek underscore Diamond. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash NerdCaveRetro and of course on Patreon at Patreon.com slash NerdCaveRetro. And if you can't give us a couple of bucks a month on Patreon, leave us a review wherever fine podcasts are sold. So Derek, please tell them what to, ha- what to expect in 2020.
3: May the force be with you.
2: Uh, I have spoken.
3: I have spoken. Why are you not? There you go. Now you are turning up. Yeah,
2: there we go. All right, where did he go? Where did he go? Where? Oh man, I can't find it. <laughs> I forgot where I put it. Uh, where is it? Hold on, we're gonna get it here in just a second. Hold on, hold on. I can't find it. Where did I put it? All right, this is uh, this is not cool. This <laughs> will uh, be a nice bumper for
3: the end of the show. Ah,
2: here we go. I have spoken. That's how you do it, right there. <laughs> <laughs>